Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed international bestseller Judith Lucci steps into the interrogation room to try to get her story straight. Judith loves to write about killing people, which is just the opposite of what she spent her professional life doing. She was born in Virginia and earned graduate and doctoral degrees from Virginia Commonwealth University and the University of Virginia. She's written numerous academic and health-related articles and documents, and also worked as a nurse, educator, and college professor before becoming an acclaimed and beloved novelist. Her award-winning fiction spans several genres and includes the Michaela McPherson crime series, Alexandra DeStefano Medical Thriller series, and her Artsy Chicks Cozy Mystery series. Her latest story is a Michaela McPherson installment entitled The Case of the Missing Parts, and is currently available as part of the forthcoming Dead Silent box set. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, Judith. It is such an honor to have you here to discuss your expertise and your craft and uh, your writing process. I am so grateful for your time. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, thank you, Gavin. I'm delighted to be here. Now, your uh, latest contribution to this dead, silent box set is a story called The Case of the Missing Parts. And uh, for readers who are unfortunate enough to not have gotten an advanced copy of that, what would you like them to know about this story? Well, The, uh, the Case of the Missing Parts is, is part of my Michaela McPherson series, uh, which is set in Richmond, Virginia, which is actually where I was born and raised. And Michaela is a retired homicide detective from the RPD, the Richmond Police. And she's based on a friend of mine who actually is a retired homicide detective from Richmond City. And she has a dog named Angel and he pretty much is the star of the book. Angel seems to you know, keep Mick and Dottie, her counterpart alive. Dottie is an 82-year-old Italian countess <laughs> who is filthy, rotten, rich, and has a lot of time on her hands, and who is someone, Gavin, that neither one of us would want to meet in a dark alley because Dot Dottie has it going on. She is <laughs> a tough old girl, and if I ever get to be 82, I want to be just like her. In the case of the missing parts, uh, what's unfortunate is that there are a lot of, of, of folks that are turning up in Bryan Park, a very nice park in Richmond with Azalea Gardens, who were dead, but part of their body organs have been removed. So that those are the missing parts. The reason that I bring this to people's attention is that this is such an absolute enormous crime globally. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So this is a, once again, this is fiction, but I, when I do my research, like most writers, I look at, at actual crimes that have occurred. And from that, I build my own, my own crime and, and I write it from authentic material. So this is about uh, murder for organs, basically, is what this book is about. And that is, uh, there, there, there's so many questions I simultaneously want to ask you just based on everything you just said. Um, the first thing that I, I'd like to know, uh, 
how did you stumble upon or, or first hear about um, the international organ trafficking and, and murder for organs? What, uh, how did that first occur and inspire you to write this? Gosh, it's pretty sad when you're inspired by organ trafficking. Yes. Yeah. It really is, but it, it is the world that we live in. I'm a, uh, a registered nurse. I have a doctorate in nursing and I'm a nurse practitioner. So I've taken care of patients for many, many years. I have worked um, in Virginia at the Medical College of Virginia and I did organ procurement. So I'm, mm. I'm well aware of what it goes into getting organs that are safe and available to Transplant. Um, MCB is probably the oldest organ donating, uh, still operating hospital in, at least in North America. So I've always known about organ transplant. I've taken care of those patients. Um, I really, um, they're, they're very precious people and organs are very, very expensive. When I was teaching, mm -hmm. when I was a graduate school, at LSU in New Orleans, when I was teaching there, I wrote an article with one of my doctoral students about about what it was like to auction to auction your a kidney on eBay, and that actually did happen. And it, I think the organ finally sold for about almost two million dollars. Wow. And so organs are very precious commodities; they are very difficult to find. Kidneys we can get, but anything other than a kidney is a lot tougher to get. Uh, of course, now you can't auction, the, the government stopped, <laughs> you can't auction your, your organs on eBay. But, you know, vulnerable populations throughout the world are preyed on for their organs. You know, children are snatched, you know, their kidneys are taken, their eyes are taken. It's just an absolutely heinous crime. And with this book, as with all of my books, I write medical thrillers lots of medical thrillers. I always want people to be aware and alert about what's happening in the world around them. So that's one of my goals as a writer. I want to put it to them in a manner in which they're not totally grossed out, mm -hmm. that they are aware that these kinds of crimes occur. There are many, many people that are trafficked, you know, from truck stops. I mean, these young teenagers that mm -hmm you know, run away from home or they want to have some fun or whatever. And they, they never, they never show up again. And generally, you know, sometimes they're trafficked into the slave trade or perhaps they're sent away and their organs are taken. So that's, that's how I've, I've always known about organ transplant. It's a science in and to itself. I did not realize until the last 10 or 15 years what a problem the procurement of organs had become as far as being a massive illegal crime. One of the things that I have struggled with in my writing in balancing authenticity and the reader experience or reader expectations, uh, for me, most of it revolves around the dullness uh, of police procedure. Um, but also, I think a lot of times, like I, I one of my books, The Misery Merchant, um, is about domestic minor sex trafficking. And mm -hmm. I had a difficult time trying to balance 
the realities of that experience and the heinousness, the absolute horror that those victims endure without absolutely turning my readers off. And I would expect with a lot of your medical background, as you kind of alluded to there, that you probably have to be pretty careful with, uh, with the amount of gore and the authenticity of the, the nursing or the medical experience with what your readers are going to have running through their mind. I do think you have to be careful about that. And I don't, you know, I learned a long time ago in my first uh, med medical thriller series, the Alexandra DiStefano books, that people, or at least my readers, they really don't want to know how many pints of blood were on the floor. I mean, <laughs> they don't want that. You know, they just, they want to be able to visualize that scene on its own without you being really specific about that. And I find that that, it, it, I have gotten many letters where that, where I've been told that that kind of crime turns people off, that they, they want to imagine it themselves. They want to be led up to that and then let them use the, the powers that be and your words to let them figure out exactly what happened. So I don't write a lot of gore anymore. I don't, um, I don't really shoot people much anymore because, you know, I have to figure the, the bullet trajectory and all that stuff and I can do all that, but I usually, I usually kill people differently. I'm, I'm kind of a slow killer. I don't write a lot of gore and, you know, I think the only way that you can overcome police procedure and I, I actually have, well, I don't have a law enforcement background at all, but I have worked with, with different police officers. Have, I have a, a couple in Richmond, Virginia that I still consult all the time. And, you know, they'll, they'll help me with the police procedure so that I can get it straight. But basically, I think you've got to spice your characters up a little bit to keep people reading, keep your plot port points jumping up and down. So that's how I kind of work around that. But I'm always improving. I'm, I'm evolving. You know, that transitions incredibly well to one of the other questions you've already inspired me to, to, to ask off my notes is about Dottie and knowing how Michaela came about. How did Dottie's creation, how did you meet her? What inspired you to, to put this incredibly complex and wonderful character together? Oh, wow. Dottie is so cool. Um, she's very arrogant. You know, she's very bossy and pushy. You know, she was married to a count, the Count Borghese, and she has villas and all around Rome in a country house. And her, her husband, uh, the Count, had invested in tobacco, which is unfortunately big in, in Virginia. And um, so he had, they had come to Virginia years and years ago, like back in the, the 50s, and had bought a, a, a huge mansion on Monument Avenue for to visit in. And so when the count died, you know, Dottie just stayed in the United States because she really liked it there. She goes back home, you know, to see her family once a year, but she basically doesn't like them. They want to grab her money and that kind of thing. Dottie's kind of, you know, she's, she drives this, you know, she's 82. She doesn't drive really well. And she drives this, this 
huge white Cadillac right down the street in Richmond and people just move out of her way because they know who she is and she's got a pretty set schedule. She, how did she come to mind? I think she's somebody that I really want to be like mm -hmm. when, I, when I'm 82. I want to, I want to be able to shoot straight and go to the gym three times a day and solve crimes and raise cane. And those are the things and have lots of money, which I'm not seeing that happening, but <laughs> there's still like time. Dottie does. Yeah. <laughs> she knows everybody. She's terribly well-connected and all of her rich friends, um, they, they know her and she has all these dowager friends and there's a book about one of them. So Dottie, you know, Dottie's a good girl. She's, she loves Mick. Mick loves Dottie, but they get along like, oh gosh, you know, oil and vinegar. But they're, <laughs> Mick's, Mick's much younger, of course. And, yes. and Dottie, of course, is much older, but they, they're kind of a good team. Now, how did you first become inspired to write fiction? And when did you write something other people actually wanted to read? Gosh, you know, I, I wrote years and years ago, and then I, I entered the world of, of academia, and all of my writing turned into textbooks, you know, or treatises, or monographs, or research studies, or all of those things. So I didn't have time just for pleasure writing. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, I'd moved to New Orleans and had worked there at at the LSU healthcare system in the old charity hospital, which is another book in itself for some years back. And then I, when I returned to Virginia, I found the copy of my first novel, which was chaos at Crescent city medical center in my basement when I was cleaning up. So I read this book and I'm thinking, you know, this, this doesn't look too bad. You know, I'm, I'm I need to clean this up and, I think we all know that we're our own worst critics. So mm -hmm. what I did was I took that book and I brought it out and I, I rewrote it and I uh, cleaned it up a little bit and I sent it out and it was immediately accepted for publication. But then after that, um, my schedule where I was teaching then a smaller university um, and I already had tenure, so I didn't have to work quite as hard. I found more time to write. So I had, I actually retired early because it looked like, gosh, you know, I'm, I might be able to do something with this writing. So I, I just, I just love it. I mean, I guess that just gives me a platform to, to, to still teach with people. I like mm -hmm. to entertain them. I like to teach them. I like for them to learn. So that's why I write. Most folks that I know who are, successful at any venture, especially a creative one, uh, tend to have some mentors along the way who helped push them, inspire them, or motivate and encourage them to, to continue that passion. I, I wonder if you've had any folks in your life. Well, I've been very fortunate. You know, Richmond, Virginia has a lot of really well-known authors. And one of those, you know, Patricia Cornwell was my neighbor when I oh, lived wow. in Richmond. And I knew her fairly well back in the early days. I actually bought her book out of the trunk of her car, you know, her first book, because those were all based on a murderer that was terrorizing Richmond back in the 80s. And then, of course, I was fortunate enough to have known David Baldacci and his family. So 
you know, I guess I, I love, those are two of my favorite writers, you know, so, you know, I, I always read their books and I thought, you know, these, these are people like you and I are people and mm -hmm. these fantastic books and I really want to do that. So I guess I kind of patterned myself because I did have the medical background and I just loved the way that David is able to absolutely keep his, his readers spellbound all the way through his novels. So those guys were really, really kind of mentors for me, not officially. Mm -hmm. I knew them personally and I was able, and I loved what they wrote. I, you know, you know, uh, Patricia, Pat certainly had Patty as we called her. She certainly had the medical piece going on with the forensic stuff. And of course, David just had the action adventure just full speed ahead. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like what I, what I try to do. I try to, you know, to keep people interested and kind of mix it up a bit back and forth. I think my friend Fiona Quinn, we've been together. I think you had Fiona on, on mm -hmm. Monday. Yes. And she and I have been, you know, we kind of mentor each other back and forth. So and I have a great, there's so many writers out there that are so talented that, you know, you can, it's just such a collegial kind of thing to do as well. Yeah, and I wonder uh, with this latest book being in the Michaela McPherson series, I wonder what your current work in progress is and what readers can look forward to after the release of the Dead Silent Box set. I, I have four series. I write the Women of Valor novels, and these are all novels about women that make a difference, that go the extra yard, you know, that make the world a better place to live in. My third medical series, Sonia Amon, MD. Sonia has a book coming out. Sonia is a battlefield surgeon who unfortunately had an ISIS terrorist for a father and her mother was, was the daughter of an American diplomat. And hmm. Sonia is constantly hunted by her father because she escaped from him when she was 18. She got out of Syria. So there's a, the sixth book of that releases in January. And I have another series that's set in New Orleans Mara Robichard, and that's a, that's a new one. Mara is a witch. She's a psychic witch, but she's also an investigative reporter. Wow. And she does all kinds of stuff. And the second book of, second and third book of that series were released before March of this year. All these books are interconnected. So you'll see that Mick, Mick and Dottie, you know, they'll go to New Orleans and they'll help out the New Orleans police, you know, solve crimes. And I've got some, the same bad guys you can see in the Alex books and in the Mick books and they're in the Mara books. So it, it's kind of a huge world, so to speak. We, we're, we, you know, writers now write in worlds. And so my Women of Valor world, my novels over, overlap. But you can still read them independently and you can, you don't have to read each series. If you like reading about terrorists, then you probably would like the Sonya book. If you mm -hmm. like True Blue Crime, you'd like the, the Michaela, Mick and Dottie books. And if you like medical thrillers, you'd probably really go for Alex. So I just have, a, I mean, I have to keep myself interested. So that's, mm -hmm. 
that yes. <laughs> I write to entertain myself too. <laughs> yes. Now, I do enjoy ending all of our episodes with some sort of a hypothetical, Judith, and um, uh, God forbid that it should come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you've been murdered, I wonder which two fictional investigators, not your characters, but which two other fictional investigators you would assign your own homicide? Hmm. That's a tough question. Do I have to answer it? <laughs> I I don't know. I I would probably I like Benson, who is in the um, Patricia Cornwell books. I would like Benson kind of looking out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, you know, I like a lot of um, the Rizzoli and Ives. I, I mm-hmm. like the FBI people. I think they're really pretty good. Um, I just want somebody that's not going to give up on me because, you know, I tried to do a good job in my life. So mm-hmm. probably would go with Rizzoli and Benson. They, they, that's two way apart kinds of people, but I would go with those. Well, I think they'd make a good task force together. That They will definitely get your crime solved. Well, that's good because if they don't, I'm going to come back and kill the person. <laughs> me. There's no question about that. I don't like to be one-upped. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> where, where can readers connect with you and find out about future releases? Maybe uh, sign up for a newsletter or stay in touch with you on, on what you're doing and what you're working on. Um, JudithLucci.com. You can join my newsletter there. Uh, I would love to have you. I, 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 you know, I introduce my readers to lots of other writers. It's just part of what I do. Um, so judithlucci.com, follow me on Facebook at Judith Lucci. I'm easy to find, and I would dearly love to have anyone who wants to talk to me or has an idea for me to, to write, you know, a book. I mean, I, I get a lot of ideas from my super reader group that is on Facebook, and I would love for you to join that too. So just, you know, check it out, and I'm delighted to see anyone and talk to anybody. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure having you on the show, ma'am. Thank you so much for making time for us. Gavin, you're kind. Thank you so much for doing this for the set. And, you know, please tell everybody out there, please tell your friends to get this box set because it's going to provide you reading for most of a very long winter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Rees, and this episode's guest has been acclaimed bestseller, Dr. Judith Lucci. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.